Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. How are we all doing this morning? Good? We doing good? We doing good? I'm pumped. I'm very excited today to be um, sharing with you. As Pastor Tim and Melissa said, my name is Stephen and uh my wife, Brittany, and I are the pastors of C3 East Village, the location pastors uh, down there, our core extension campus of, of Calgary West here. And so, I, you know, sometimes it gets confusing because, like, what is C3 East Village, you know, in relation to here? Well, so we're, we're one church, two locations at the moment. We are the same church. So many of us here in this place have family in different parts of the country. Uh, for me, I have family on pretty much as far away as you can get on the other side of the world. Being in a different location doesn't mean we're not family anymore. We've still got the same relationship as family. And so that's kind of a way that I I see C3 EV down there in the city and our relationship here is we're still the one family and you're a part of the church, whether you like it or not. We just happen to meet downtown and we have the two locations, but we are one church. So anyway, just going up, just wanted to define that a little bit. But yeah, my um, wife, Brittany, and I have a three-month-old named Hewan as well, who's, uh, who's back there. They're standing at the door in case I say anything to embarrass them. They'll just run straight out. I'm sure that's what happens. But as you heard, we're launching an internship program at the church. We're super excited for this. It's going to launch in the fall. Um, and this is going to be about 20 hours a week. It's going to involve um, some, some college uh, online college courses from C3 Global. Uh, world-class teaching, um, get together, do the classes together. It's through multimedia as well as class interaction. And it's also going to have a mentorship and uh, being able to be in a different department or area of the church. And so I just encourage you, if you've ever wanted to be a part of a program like that, this is designed to, to help equip you, to help um, sort of empower you and launch you off into to any area you want, whether that's maybe you feel like a call of church ministry and you want to explore that, or maybe you just want to take a set aside some time just to build your relationship with God, learn some amazing skills, get to be a part of what's going on here. If you want any more information, you can see me, you can see the information desk, um, or email, as you heard, internship at myc3church.ca. So let's get into it. We've been, um, we started last week, Pastor Lon kicked off a new series looking at Philippians, um, the letter, and he did an amazing job looking at Philippians 1. And so I get to share today, I'm super excited, from uh, chapter 2. So the title of my message Ready for it? Philippians 2. That's where we're going. That's the title of my message this morning. But, um, but he, Pastor Lon, set some of the context for us of what's going on here. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter um, at, really out of, of gratitude to a, a church that he set up and helped establish in Philippi. And, um, and it's kind of the whole tone of the letter is very loving and appreciative and grateful and encouraging and hopeful, all the while while Paul is in custody awaiting a, a sentencing, um, you know, for what's going on in his world. And, and so he's sending back to these guys that he hasn't seen for a long time. And I just love the, the, the love that oozes through this letter as he talks about these guys that he hasn't actually seen for, for a long time, but he's loving them so much. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to chapter 2. We're going to uh, explore from, from there. 
as uh, Paul talks to the, the church there, but also I, I believe that, uh, that God would talk to us as C3 Church today and as individuals. So I'm just going to pray before we start. Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord. It's living and active in this place. I thank you for each person that's come out this morning, Lord God. Um, we're ready. We're hungry. We're thirsty for you, Lord God, and, and we want you to move. So I pray more than just a message today, you're moving in the hearts in this place. You would speak to us, Lord God. Give us ears to hear in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Before I kick it off, actually, I want to share a story from East Village last week. You know, there's so much exciting stuff happening um, both here at, at Calgary West and down at the East Village location. We meet at Fort Calgary, uh, 6 p.m., and uh, as family, why don't you come and visit us sometime and check it out? But um, last week, so we were, uh, before our service, we were praying in the volunteer huddle, and I really felt to share a scripture about... Um, about bringing a, a drink if you give a, a cup of water to the least of mine. And, and so we started praying about that the, the heart of, of C3 in this city is to be that, that cup of water for the thirsty. And it was a little bit random, fairly churchy. It was all good. It was biblical, very good, awesome. So then uh, we launched off into our, our areas at the church and the, uh, someone came bursting through the door and uh, who'd never been to our church before and said, oh, I've just walked 50 minutes, 5-0, 50 minutes across the city to get to church. I'm just so thirsty. Does anyone have a drink? So it turns out this, this girl, um, this young lady, should I say, um, is from Mexico and she's living in Calgary. And uh, she was missing her family back there and she has a church background but hadn't been to church in, in many, many years. And so that day she really felt like she needed to, to find a church in the city to come to. So she jumped on Instagram and typed in uh, whatever, Calgary Churches downtown or one of those things. Three churches popped up. She sent that back to her family in, in Mexico who had gathered together and were praying for her um, and said, uh, we want, uh, you should go to this one and sent back ours. She came to East Village and she was just so moved and touched in the service. She was like, I've, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been missing. And, um, and you know, so yeah, that's awesome. Like, so good. There's, there are thirsty people in our city and hungry people who just need someone to reach out to them. And, and, you know, um, and so we, you know, we do all that kind of stuff here as a church. We, we're on the internet, we social media, we bring our friends, all that kind of stuff, because we want to make as many opportunities for someone to be able to come and experience God. And that's what it comes down to. So that's happening all the time. I just, that really, I thought that was exciting. And she hung around for our after party, our Canada Day, and just connected with people really well. And she's going to come back. And it's great to see God just moving in this city. So here we go. Let's get into Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, has anybody got any encouragement in this place from being united with Christ? Maybe you've been discouraged. People have tried to encourage you, but you've only found encouragement by being united with Christ. Anybody here had that kind of experience where being in relationship with the Savior of the world encourages you? Good, good. Okay, good. We're in the right place. This applies to us then as well. If any comfort from his love, have you ever been comforted by his love that nothing else in this world could bring you comfort except for the love of God? Anyone? Good, good, okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I'm in the right place this morning. If you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Okay, let's break it down there. Today we're going to be talking about unity, humility, and encouragement. And, uh, and I kind of, if you want a little one sentence for the message, I'm going to give it to you in advance so you can be thinking about it. We need to work it out how to let God work it out in us. 
You need to work it out how to let God work it out in you. So we're going to get to that later because for the first chapter, we're talking about behaviors and actions and, um, and things that we should do as, as a result of knowing Christ. And I don't know about you, but it's very easy for me to sometimes treat the gospel and treat my relationship with God like it's behavior modification. But does anybody know it's so much more than modifying our behavior? It's actually an inner transformation that happens because Christ has done everything for us on that cross. Therefore, we get to display these fruits in our lives. So I don't want you to hear this like, well, you need to be humble. You need to be encouraged. You need to be unified. Um, and therefore, you know, you're a Christian. No, it's as a result that there's nothing that we can do other than accept what Jesus has done for us. Therefore, we get to display, we get to develop, we get to develop this fruit in our world. So I just want to break down, um, if we can have that scripture back up on the screen there. Thanks, Matthew. Um, that first part there, uh, we're going to look at what it is to be like-minded, um, comfort, uh, where are we? Sorry. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, the next part would be awesome. Um, like-minded, uh, with love, with the same spirit. And I just want to break down these terms a little bit. So like-minded, I believe what Paul's trying to say here, and when you look at the, the context of what's going on, is he is not speaking of uh, uniformity or conformity. He's speaking of unity. There's a big difference between unity and uniformity. Okay, so God has uniquely made you and why are you here today, whoever you are, whether you're visiting for the first time, whether you're a part of this community, he has created you as a unique individual. He has fearfully and wonderfully made you. He has put every hair on your head and counted it. Some of you guys probably feel a little bit ripped off by that. He should have given you a bit extra there, but that's okay. He has made you and wired you just as you are. So the body of God isn't about uniformity. It's not about being clones of each other. It's not about simply looking the same, acting the same, and towing the party line. I don't believe that's healthy, and I don't believe that's biblical. I believe uniformity comes from a pressure from without. You know, you must, you must uh, conform to this. You must act this way. Well, this is how we do it. This is what our tribe does. This is what our kind of people do. Unity comes from within. It's an agreement that Yes, we're different. Yes, we have different things going on, different callings, different giftings. But, but because of an inner desire um, to, to see God move in a mighty way, we're going to be unified. We have the same purpose and motivation. That's what Paul's saying here, that you would be like-minded. You would have the same purpose and motivation. So this isn't a call to, uh, the, to the church here, to the Philippians, to, to be clones of each other. But it is a call to be unified. There's a big difference. Okay, does that make sense between uniformity? So I believe God would say that to us here today. You don't have to, to uh, be a clone of the person around you. That's creepy. That is creepy if we all did that. That's borderline cult. But we are called to be unified because we're more important. Uh, we're more focused on um, you know, unifying around the thing that does unify us, and that's Jesus Christ, than those things that might divide us, those petty little um, pet theologies that we develop, or those gray areas that really, in the grand scheme of things, are super interesting and fascinating, and we should have those conversations, those iron sharpening iron conversations where we sit down and talk about some of that stuff in the Bible. But but what trumps that is that we are unified with the same purpose and motivation, because Jesus is our source, and he loves this city and wants to reach this city. Amen? So that's, that's kind of what I think he's saying there. Paul is saying, um, you don't have to be the same, but be unified with the same purpose and motivation. And so being, uh, having the same love, 
is the next term he uses. He's encouraging them to have the same love. All you need is love. <laughs> Great, we know that, right? Like, um, it's really fascinating as I was looking at what this means and looking at uh, the New Testament. Often we talk about how we need to love our neighbor and love our friends, and we've all heard this and we agree with that a lot. But, um, but actually Paul's encouraging the believers here, the church, that, that they, need to be, they need to have the same love. They need to love one another. You know, in Acts, we see um, the early church was uh, kind of birthed out, and what was attracting and causing transformation was that they were devoted, they were unified with the same like-minded of purpose and motivation, but they were sharing, and they had all things in common, and they loved each other. In, in uh, John chapter 3, verse 34, um, Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give to you, that you would love one another. Um, like I have loved you. By, by this you will know, by this people will know that you are my disciples. You know, the New Testament doesn't actually talk that much about us loving out there, although we know that that's in there and that's obviously something we do. But there's a heck of a lot about the church loving each other. Here's a radical idea, just a thought. Okay. How different would the well be if the church, us here as a local church, as different churches across the city and local churches all around the world, if we just learned to love each other a little bit more. If we just learned to love each other a little bit more. You know, this is just something that, like, we often, I'm so a, we need to love this city guy. I love this city. I'm so thankful that, that God has placed and called uh, Brittany and, and I here and all you guys here. And we get so focused sometimes on loving um, outwardly, which we should do, but we need to love each other here. That's what's going to cause transformation. By the way that we love each other, they will know that you are my disciples. Radical thought, I know, that we would love each other here, that we would love each other. It speaks here in the original language of, of a genuine and sincere love for each other, an affection for each other. You know, and so once again, we're going to get into some of, like, how do we switch this around? Because I don't know if anyone else has ever found it. You know, I'm just putting myself out here. Sometimes it's hard to love other Christians. Can, can I say that here? It's a, like, you know, sometimes it can be really hard. You know why? Because we're people and people are imperfect and we do imperfect things to people and we hurt each other and we say silly things and all that kind of stuff happens. All some really bad stuff has happened. I know many of you have been affected in this place by other Christians and you've been hurt, you've been betrayed and you've been, you've been burnt. But I believe we're going uh, to break some of that off today in the name of Jesus because despite all that, despite all the yuckiness and the muckiness and the uh, imperfectness, we're actually called to genuinely and sincerely love each other. Okay, the next term he uses is, uh, is being, in one, being one in spirit. This speaks of, of brothers and sisters and, and you know, that spirit of having the same spirit of things. Obviously, the same Holy Spirit that, that is in all of us and dwells within us. But having that same Spirit, once again, emphasizing that, um, that, that same motivation and purpose and that we're going the same direction, that we're, that we're moving in the same way. Um, Paul says this in the context because in, in the church at the time, there were some people coming in with some doctrines that were actually trying to divide. So the first thing he talks about being unified of one mind is by letting some of the the petty stuff go. And then this one is probably more of an emphasis on some of those big things that would divide us. We need to get rid of that and work that out and have the same spirit going forward. So, um, you know, 
So, and then he kind of summarizes uh, this again, saying one mind, being of one mind, which is that unified thing again. Uh, I love it. It's not just Paul who emphasizes this in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 3 verse 8, he concludes, um, the apostle Peter there concludes one of his letters by saying, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, a brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, you know, emphasizing that same thing that Paul did. This isn't just for the church at Philippi, it's for everybody. It's for every believer, every community that would gather. Okay, let's, let's move on here, because we've, we've got a chapter to get through. I'm super excited about it, and um, you guys have to keep me going. So the more you kind of, if you agree with stuff and say amen and say I'm doing okay, it might speed the process along. But if you're not doing that, whew, we could be here. Well, East Village starts at 6 o'clock, so okay, we have a few hours. It's good. Okay, in verse uh, 3, it says, Do nothing, it's about to get real in here, so do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Wow. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So I, I was kind of preparing this message, and I was like, God, you can't have me get up there and say, do nothing. It must mean something else, surely, because none of us can do can do nothing uh, out of selfish. We all have these selfish, flesh, carnal stuff. And so I jumped into the original language, had a good look at it, and I was praying through it. And you know what I came up with that word nothing means? Nothing. <laughs> Zilch. Zero. I, I was like, oh, come on, God. I got to get up in front of these nice people and say that there's a way that we can pursue and go after doing nothing out of a selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. This is, a, this is a big call, big mandate we have as New Testament believers, that we would treat each other like that. You know, um, there's a fascinating study done uh, for musicians, for, for bands that, um, so I have a, a, I'm passionate about music, I, I love music, that's my uh, background, that's Brittany and I actually met at Bible College, we were in the worship strand together, and, um, but there's this fascinating study to come out of the States, one of the university did, and it was taking bands that had been successful, so musicians who had commercially been successful uh, for longer than 20 years, so which is a limit, is, is actually a small number of bands in the world, you know, they don't actually name the bands, but you think of guys like U2 and um, all these kind of guys, Red Hot Chili Peppers for any of the 90s kids out there, and um, but these guys that have been successful, done, stayed relevant with their music and kept maturing and producing and kept good relationships for over 20 years versus those that had short-term success but didn't last past you know, a short term. And they looked at the philosophy of the musicians in those bands. They, I guess they did a bunch of questions and studies. It's quite an extensive piece. And what they come up with was the bands that had, been, um, had short-term success but didn't last the distance and didn't keep going, as individual musicians, they had that motive that, well, I'm going to play what makes me sound best. How am I going to, you know, they, obviously they didn't state it like this, but they, they would say, well, what's going to make my lead guitar sound best here? What's going to make my drum sound? Where if you take the, the philosophy of the musicians from the other band, that whenever they were developing music, they were constantly thinking, what's going to make my band sound better? What's better for the overall picture? What's better for the song? I just find this really fascinating. Maybe you think it's random, but, but that study that came out, because that's actually what we're called to do here. Okay, I'm not saying, I know some of you guys can't sing to save yourselves. I get that. I understand that. I'm not saying develop music, but, but what we have to do is that we're, 
as Christians, we're meant to what's going to make the people around me sing better, be brighter, shine brighter, uh, you know, be um, happier. That's the thought, that's the, the place that we're meant to take is considering other people above ourselves. That's humility. I love uh, C.S. Lewis's definition of, of humility, um, maybe paraphrasing it a bit here, but humility is not um, thinking less of yourself, but think, thinking of yourself less. Okay, I'm going to say that again because I kind of spat it out really awkwardly. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking of yourself less, but thinking less of yourself. That's what humility is. And I believe that's what Paul, that's what he, did I get that? Whatever, you get, you get it. You're, because we're here today in one spirit, you guys get it, so it's good. <laughs> um, you know, so that's what our job as Christians is to do, as followers of Christ, is, is to be selfless. And there's a way to do that through Christ, that we can do nothing out of self. But I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, okay? If you saw my driving to get to church this morning, you'd probably know that I'm not there yet. But we're to develop that, that pursuit of thinking about other people and treating their, um, their circumstances and what's going on in their world more, more important than our own. You know, something that I think uh, we often get caught up on is we get so inward focused sometimes. Well, I need to develop myself and I need to work on myself and I have all this stuff wrong. And if we just kind of started to look outwards a little bit and to see what's going on around us, some of this stuff would actually fall away. Um, obviously, there's things that we need to be delivered from, we need to work through, we need to get breakthrough in, we need to have faith for. But a lot of it, if we just start to look outwards and see what's going on around us and treat people, be selfless, that stuff would actually fall away and you'd be broken free from that. So um, let's continue on here with Philippians into verse 5. It says, God didn't use... Uh, sorry. I'm just going to keep following here. I got a new Bible for preaching today because the pages haven't softened up yet. It just like really closes up a lot. So verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What? We can have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the Savior of your world. This is fascinating to me. It says who, in verse six, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in the heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is... What a powerful passage of Scripture here. You know, and, and, and I'm not going to add too much more than to this because I just think the way it is, I encourage you to, um, to note this down and go in and look at this and, and learn and hear about our Savior Jesus, how humble that He is. That he, so God, because He's the Son of God, and actually the, the language in this passage of, of that He is the Lord there, um, Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll notice it, if you've got your Bible with it, it's a capital L, Lord, because post-Old post, uh, Testament, so into the Gospels and then especially into the Epistles, anytime Jesus is referred to, it, it's using a, a different term in the Greek because it's talking about He's divine, uh, that He is the Son of God, that He is God, He's a part of the Trinity. Uh, and it's actually really fascinating that, you know, because Lord can be used 
just as a sign of respect for a title or a position, and you see that through the Bible, but actually in reference to Jesus, it's always talking about him being God. And I don't know, I just felt like I needed to throw that out there today. So that's fascinating to me that, that that's there. But what we have here is basically Paul saying God didn't use God to his advantage. God didn't use being God to his advantage, but he humbled himself. Man, that's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. And it says we can take on that mindset of Christ. We can take that on. So how does that look in our own world? We don't, you know, we're not dying for the sins of the world like Jesus did and rising again, obviously. But it says we're to take on that same mindset. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He was a servant, right? He came from the highest position and went to the lowliest position. And, you know, we don't have to wash the feet of those around us. It's stampede time at the moment. A lot of people doing a lot of walking and riding around and stuff. I don't want to touch anyone's feet in Calgary. But, but it's that posture of serving, of being humble, of not using a status or position at your workplace or knowledge or um, some kind of leverage over somebody else. God didn't use God to his advantage. We're not to use our status, our position, our knowledge, our articulate words, our whatever it might be to our advantage, but to humble ourselves and to serve those around us. That's an amazing thing. It's a privilege to get to, you, get to do. But our God did it first. He loved and served us um, when he didn't have to. And how does this look in our, in, in our life? I guess I love Pastor Phil Pringle states, this is just one way, a relationship is more important than an opinion. A relationship is more important than opinion. Just to make it real for us, okay? So I love that from Pastor Phil Pringle because what he's saying there is that, um, you know, because opinion often comes out of a position of, of well, I know more uh, or I have more authority on this issue, therefore you should listen to me. That's what an opinion is. But he's saying if your opinion is going to affect the relationship, then, then cast it aside. Take a humble position. Take the mindset of Christ. Don't leverage that. A relationship is more important than opinion. That little gem there would actually change the world right now and the environment that we find ourselves in in North America. That a relationship would be more important than opinion. You know, that's just one way that we can take that mindset of Christ. You can win an argument and not win an argument. You can win an argument and ultimately lose. Okay, any married couple knows that, right? Guys, you can, you can win an argument and really you lose. We're to take the, the humbler mindset, humility. It's not to think less of ourselves. It's not to say, well, I, no, it's not to be weak and back off. It's actually a strength and a strong thing to do to, to be able to go, actually, I'm going to humble myself here because this relationship is more important than my opinion, my pet peeves, whatever it might be. I'm more interested in this than I am just spewing out information at somebody. I haven't been good at this in my life, and, and I regret it particularly in my early 20s, um, you know, I burned some bridges because um, out of a well-meaning heart to get, to get the Bible across, to get apologetics, to get this thing, and I used to think, no, if I can just argue loud enough, if I can just be loud enough, if I can show enough facts, if I can show the right information, then, and, and I regret it, man, I really do, because we're called that, to be people who, who, um, who choose relationship over opinion. So let's be a people that do that. I think that's what kind of, that's one way of taking on that humble mindset that Christ does. You know, um, yeah, I think we'll move on from there. But I really encourage us, let's, to, let's not see humility as a weakness 
as a backing down, because there is times that we need to stand. But I think sometimes we, we take a stand on the small things that we shouldn't, and then the big things that we should, for some reason, we back off on. Let's, let's narrow that gap. Let's make a stand on some big things. But most of the time, let's just be humble and choose relationship over an opinion. Okay, so now let's jump over to verse um, Philippians 2, chapter 12. We'll keep walking down here. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, and this is where I kind of want to get to how we actually achieve some of this stuff. Often we overlook. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So with great reverence, that it's super important is what, what Paul is getting across here, to work out our salvation. Well, I thought we were saved and that it's all done and Jesus has done everything. Yes. But then we're also called to work out how that looks in our world. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's super important. Paul's emphasizing this. For it is, in 13, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is where I come back to that sentence I made at the start there. Work it out how to let God work it out in you. That's our work. Okay. Work it out how to let God work in you. That's our work. Do you see this here in, in the verse? He says, you ought to work out your salvation. And then he follows it up that God will work it out. That God will work, who works in you. So God will work in you as you work on it. You know, there's a, a, a uh, sometimes we get so caught up in, and, and hear this right, the right way, the grace of God, which I don't think we can ever truly get caught up in enough. We need more grace. But grace isn't something that we, it develops a laziness in us or a content that, well, I don't need to work anything out because God's done it all and I'm forgiven and everything like that. No, out of a genuine experience of God's grace, we will work on our salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's not a have to anymore, it's a get to, out of that overflow, out of that inner transformation, we get to get to work on these things. So we're talking about unity, humility, and encouragement. And so, I, you know, these are behaviors. These are things. And I'd hate for us to get caught up in, take these things or take anything. Maybe there's sin in your world, things that you know that you're doing that are wrong, that are against God, that, that, that is um, not right. Maybe it's just bad habits, uh, bad fruits in our world. And what we sometimes do is we'll hear a message like this and go, okay, so what I need to do is start to work really hard on modifying this behavior. And so what we start to do is we start to try and clean ourselves up and we try to, to modify the output. And eventually, I don't know if anyone else has found that it just creeps back in. The same fruit gets produced. It's like we go to an apple tree and we pick the apples off it. And then when it grows the next year, we're waiting, expecting it to give us oranges. But we didn't change anything in the root system. We didn't replant the tree. We didn't change anything. That's what I know. I've spent wasted way too much time in my Christian walk trying to modify my behavior, trying to manage it, trying to control it. When actually Jesus has enabled us to change the root system, to change the whole area of that. And because of him in us, we can actually produce a new fruit. We can produce these things like unity, humility, and encouragement. You can't, you can't fix the fruit without working on the root. You can't fix the fruit without working on the root, but it's God who works in us, and that's the tension as a Christian that we, we walk, that we need to work on our root by allowing God to work on it. You know, picture yourself as a, a production factory for a moment, and there's a big, long conveyor belt going through the factory. Okay, this is kind of what came to me as I was looking into this a bit more, and, and on that 
um, convey about is all the fruit in your world, good and bad, you know, and, and so all the good things you're doing, those things that you know that you need to work on. And I find myself a lot of the time, and maybe you can put yourself in my shoes, that I'll be standing at the end of the conveyor belt after all the fruit's been produced and it's coming off. And, I, and I'm managing, I'm trying to go, okay, here's a good fruit, I'll put this over here, and here's a bad one. I'm just going to throw this, keep throwing this bad fruit off, these bad habits, these addictions, these sin in my world. And I'm just going to, because, you know, I'll just keep, if I keep working on that thing, it'll go away. And it just keeps coming back. It just keeps going. And actually what Jesus has enabled us to do on the cross is we can go back to the start of the conveyor belt, get a new system and produce a new fruit because of him working in us. You know, we get it in the wrong order and that becomes works. By my work, somehow I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manage this behavior. But no, if we allow God to work in us right back at the start, we will become more unified. We'll be more humble. We'll, we'll give more encouragement because God is changing the root system in us. He has changed it in us. That's the gospel to me. A gospel of works says what I can do and I'll change it and, and what I can do, well, therefore I'll be right. It's like, no, 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 Jesus has done it all. Therefore, we can have an inner transformation to change the world around us. You know, that's kind of the, if you look at the original language and the poetic nature of, of, of Paul's writing, his creativity, the whole passage, not just one word or two, is talking about inner transformation. It's not talking about, I do this from an outward way. It's because, because of what God's doing in you. Be unified. Be humble. Be more loving. It's an awesome thing. That excites me. I love it that it's not just about how hard I can strive or what I can do. It's about letting God do something in me. But, that, but that's our work. We have to work it out how to let God work it out in you. What does that look like for you? Does it mean you need to uh, be in his presence more and just take time, set it aside where you just worship and allow God to work in you? Do you need to read his word more and let, him, let the word of God just exfoliate the callousness that we develop in our heart of, of going about this world? Maybe it's you need to find somebody and stand with them in prayer and develop breakthrough and break off strongholds in your world. Work it out how to let God work it out in you. Amen? Let's be a people who do that. So let's keep going here in Philippians. In verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. There's that word. There's another word. It was nothing before. Now it's everything. I was like, God, everything? Come on. Surely you just mean 99% of the time I'm not allowed to grumble or complain. No, but Paul's encouraging the, the Philippians here not to be a people as individuals, but as a community, because he's speaking to them as a community, um, that wouldn't grumble and complain. And then he says this interesting, fascinating thing that I haven't quite got worked out. Then you will be blameless and pure. Because the Bible tells me, and Paul tells me in other areas uh, of the Word of God, that, that, that none of us can be blameless and pure without Christ in us. So what's he talking about here, being blameless and pure? I don't know. Have a look into it. Find out. Get back to me. But what I kind of think um, is he's saying here, he's actually making a really practical observation in the natural, as well as obviously the spiritual uh, implications there uh, of that. But he's saying, as a people, if you don't, grumble and you don't complain, or as an individual, you don't grumble and complain. 
you're actually going to be seen in a different light from this world and you're going to shine like stars. You know, so this is a great, great kind of principle I think Paul is applying in the natural. Like I said, I'm not dismissing the, the, the spiritual implications, but a very natural observation about people who grumble and complain. I don't know if anyone's noticed this. They only attract people who grumble and complain. That's what grumbling and complaining does. When I start to get into a mindset of grumbling and complaining, grumble, 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 complain, complain. Oh, they said this and they did that. And then other people start to come around me. He said, yeah, and what about this? And what about when they... And all of a sudden you get down this echo chamber uh, and, and this bias of people who are just feeding that grumbling and complaining. And then you wonder why. Why have I got just such a negative life at the moment? Why do I have so many people around me grumbling and complaining? It's because grumbling and complaining only attracts grumbling and complaining. But if you want to stand aside, if we want to, as a church, um, be set aside in this world and actually have people go, oh, there's something different about the church. There's something different about C3 Church. There's something different about the churches in Calgary. Or as an individual in your workplace, in your school, wherever you might find yourself, I think Paul is encouraging them and God would say to us today, don't grumble and complain. Just get over it. Can I say that this morning? Just get over it. I know it's hard sometimes. I know it can be really hard. You have to really work on it, but just get over it. Don't grumble and complain. Now, be honest with people and talk to people, but if you want to, you know, I, I, it's easy. Let's take the workplace, for example, to, to find something about a boss that we don't agree with and grumble, complain, and then to fit in, we start to do that with our workmates. If you want to be set aside and shine like a star, don't be someone who grumbles and complains and you'll be set aside. Anyway, I've got to move on. I've got to get going here. But that's a very practical thing, I think. And if we become a church community, and it, imagine if the church was known as not a place that uh, people grumbled and complained about each other or about the world we're in, but just loved, and it was just like, it's all good, let's just keep going, then we would shine, and I believe that's how we transform a city. Not being a people that get sucked into the ways of this world, but we live above that. We live by the kingdom of God principle of not grumbling and complaining. Okay, and I just want to finish up really quickly with this last passage here. Let's skip down. I'll go down to uh, Philippians 2, verse 19, and 20, uh, 19, right to the end of 24, and I'll conclude with this. We've worked our way through an entire chapter today in church. Hope you guys, it's good. It doesn't mean we don't uh, keep reading our word. You know, during the, this is just the scratching the surface of what's actually in this scripture. But it's been a privilege to get to do it today. So in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself and become as a son with his father. He has served with me and in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And then that, the very last part of that chapter, um, just for time's sake, is he talks about Ephrodidas, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who was sent out from the Philippians to bring the gift and to minister to Paul. And he got quite sick to the point of nearly dying, and Paul's sending him back. But I love how he finishes it. He says, um, after that, I'm eager to send with him uh, so you can see him again, and we may be glad. And he adds this little bit in, and then I'll have le less anxiety. So he's kind of like, then I won't have to worry about him anymore. But, um, and he says... Uh, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, 
because he almost died for the work of Christ. He, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give him. So very quickly, and if I can have the band come back up on stage, um, because we're going to go into a time of worship before we conclude the service. But this whole, I love this dynamic of, of Paul and Timothy, this father-son relationship here, and that Paul is a champion of the next generation. And so I'm so happy that I get to be a part of a church family that champions the next generation. And I just want to thank you for allowing me to, to be here today and being a people that empower younger people and younger generations. Thank you, and I encourage us, let's keep doing it. Pastor Lorne and Pastor Kelly's heart has always been that, and it's a beautiful thing. As a millennial, um, you know, I have enough people in the world telling me that I'm lazy, that I'm no good, that uh, I can't do things, uh, you know, the same way that it used to be done, all this thing. And I would just ask, if you're a person in this place, um, you know, as, as, a, as a family member and, and representative of that, please stop. I love how Paul calls up Timothy. He praises him so highly. There's no one else like him. Let's be a generation of people that do that for the people who are coming after us. Because we don't need anyone to tell us we're crap. We don't need anyone to tell us we're lazy. We need a people who will call up the next generation. And you know, and, and that goes the same for us. Anyone younger in here, and I consider myself in that category. Some of you guys are looking at me like, you're just an old guy, what are you talking about? But um, whatever the next generation is coming underneath you, call them up. But the generation that's gone before you, and I speak to my generation, we need to get better at honoring, appreciating, asking the right questions, learning from, and not dismissing the generation before us. And I love this father and son relation that, uh, relationship that Timothy had. I believe our generation and every generation, we don't need any more mentors. We have a lot of mentors, and that's a good thing. We should have that. We need more fathers. We need more father-son relationships. And I feel like, and when I was preparing this message, some of you in this body, and you, you're really wondering, okay, what am I meant to be to people? How am I meant to help the kingdom of God? You know, maybe you used to be involved in things, but now um, you're, you're not serving in an area or whatever, and we encourage you to do those things. But I, I believe whether you're a male or a female, father and son, mother-daughter relationship, I, I believe one of the greatest things you can do in the kingdom of God is to father someone, is to mother somebody. Someone around you, I believe that, you know, you've been struggling with this, and I'd encourage you, is there any younger people that God's placed around you? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's here at the church. Is there one or two or three people that you can just start encouraging? You know, a mentor, I call up a mentor and I say, okay, I have this specialized area. I'd like your help. Can you mentor me? And the mentor does it. And that's a really good thing. We need that. But a father calls me up. A father calls his son up and says, you can do it. You can make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. might have fell over there, but you can go. Keep going, son. Keep going. That's the difference between a father and son and a mentor and a mentee. It's that encouragement. And so I believe God's probably placed someone around you, maybe one or two young adults. Maybe if you're a 20-year-old, it's a teenager. Maybe if you're a 30-year-old, it's a 20. Maybe if you're 60, it's a 40-year-old. I don't know what it looks like, but someone that God might put on your heart to just call up, just to speak to, just to say, you're awesome. You're going to make it. I love what you're doing. You are going to make it. So is that, can we be a people who do that? I think, that's what, I think that's what the body of Christ is meant to be. That father and son relationship. So today we've touched on, on unity, on humility, on encouragement. Really what it comes down to is as a church, we need to love each other more. We've talked about working it out, how to let God work it out in you. And then we've talked about that father and son relationship. So if we could just stand in this place, I want to pray before we go into worship here and conclude the service. But I'd love... Um, 
because you know, this is all a, all a great theory. It's a really good theory that we're meant to love each other more. But there's people in this place and you've, you've had some stuff happen to you. In, and I'm not talking about out in the world, but I'm talking about in the church. You've had people hurt you. You've had people gossip about you. You've had people say something about you. I'm not saying it was here at this church, but in your upfront. And you find it really, really hard to actually love the church. You don't have any problem loving your workmates, showing God's love to your schoolmates, your colleagues, your friends. But you actually find in your heart a really hard time to love fellow believers. And it could be because of a good reason. Maybe you don't even know why it is, but you've just always found, oh, the church just rubs me the wrong way. Or believe it's just, I want to pray over that today, that that would be broken, because we're called to be a people who are known by the way that we love each other. So um, I'm not going to call anyone forward, but in, in your place with all eyes closed, if that is you, you know that you struggle to love the church, to love believers, to love fellow Christians. Would you do something before God? Maybe put your hands out in front of you. Maybe put your hand up in the air. I want to pray. And I believe in this presence, we're going to break that off you. And you're going to be able to develop a new love for your believers and a forgiveness of stuff that's happened to you. It wasn't right what happened to you. I'm not saying that. But today we're going to forgive that and we're going to develop a new love. So with all eyes closed, because that's just out of respect for each other. If that's you, there's hands going up all around this place. And I believe we're really going to do some work. We're going to work out how to let God work this out in us. So I'm going to pray for that. And then I'm going to, we're going to go into a time of worship. So Lord, I thank you for every person here who's acknowledged that they find it hard to love your bride, Lord God. God, at times we all find it hard. Lord, so I pray for anybody who had something done to them, Lord God, that wasn't right. God, we're not saying it was right. We're not dismissing it. But we're standing, I'm standing in the gap right now and saying to that person, as a representative of the church, would you just please forgive? We were wrong. We did something wrong. Please forgive me. I'm sorry you were wrong that way. I'm sorry you were hurt that way. And, and I pray, God, that you would download into each one of us a new love because you've called us to be a community that loves each other, that shows the world how, how the, um, that we're disciples of you by how we love each other, Lord. So for every hand that went up, every heart that registered with that, Lord God, I pray for a new day, for breakthrough in the area of love, God, that we would become a people that are so loving, Lord God, that it pours out into the city, beyond this door, beyond these four walls, Lord God, and your love would engulf Calgary in a fresh and new, awakened way, Lord God, because your people learn to love each other better, Lord God. So we, I commit each one to you. I, I acknowledge what happened to them, Lord God. And we pray we forgive that right now. We break that right now in the name of Jesus. And we fill that with your love. Amen.